Welcome to episode 3 of Beyond the Rig season 2. And on today's episode, we will be having a conversation with Ryan Asu. Please know that this episode was recorded on the 12th of June, 2022. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, good afternoon, Shane. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It is my pleasure to be here. I would um, love to introduce myself, but I, I'm not a big fan of talking about myself, so I'll just keep it brief, right? So my name is Ryan Asiu. I am an environmental and sustainability consultant in Trinidad and Tobago, but I operate throughout the Caribbean region, and I've been in this space for the past nine years. I've had an illustrious career um, where I've worked in uh, governmental entities. I won My first job was actually in National Energy. Uh, one of the subsidiaries of NGC. And then after that, I moved on to the Environmental Management Authority, where I was there for almost seven years. And now I am the principal environmental consultant of Advisors Next Door, which is my regional consulting firm. So happy, happy to be here. All right, great. And Ryan, I think you're a little modest there because um, I guess Advisors Next Door, I guess, but know that Advisors Next Door is a company that you actually started, right? Um. So you you know you you obviously had that transition working for state. I didn't know you worked national energy. That was something I knew the EMA, but not national energy. That is something I learned there. But um, yeah, for our listeners, I guess you know as a young professional, um, I was wondering if you could provide some insight uh, concerning you know, that transition from moving from state to trying to start your own company to 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 really bring change in the space. Um, if you could give, you know, if it's three or four um, lessons that you learned, because obviously, you know, it, it, it would be something that trying to start a startup company in Trinidad as well, too, is it, it, it's, it's new territory for you, you know, especially if you work state already, you know. So if you could give us just a kind of overview of, of, of some of the lessons you learned. Sure, no problem. And before I dive directly into the lessons I learned, I want to just give you a, a preamble about my time spent at the EMA, right? So while I was there, I think I really had a, a, a sort of prolific career, right? I was part of, when I joined, I was part of a nascent unit called the Strategy and Research Unit. And I like to call them the miscellaneous box of the EME, right? Um, meaning that anything that isn't to do with a permit used to come there. Climate change, seismic surveys, biodiversity, you name it, it was coming inside of that unit. And when I started my career there, I had one objective, and that was to learn everything about the environmental sector of Trinidad and Tobago. So it was the perfect place for me. And that thirst for knowledge allowed me to um, not only learn about a diverse array of things and topics, but it also allowed me to network with people across the environmental sector in a really, really meaningful way. Throughout my career there, I was fortunate to work on some really important national projects, uh, one of them being the iCare project, um, which is our national recycling program. I was the first program coordinator for that. And I'm so proud of that project. You know, every year they remove one million jumbo uh, bags of of garbage uh, from the landfills, avoidance. And then um, in 2019, the project was recognized by the um, the government, we won the President's Award for iCare's success. So iCare was a major, major win for me. And I also was able to work on the National Environmental Policy for Trinidad and Tobago, where I was the project coordinator for that as well. So um, if you read the National Environmental Policy, uh, there's a lot of my fingerprints all over that document. Um, so I'm really proud of those things. Now, coming down to 2020, when I made the decision to leave the EMA, it was not 
for for any malicious reason or anything whatsoever, but rather I felt as though I had spent at this point in time um, a little more than seven years in public sector, and I decided, well, okay, I I wanted to um, experience environment from a different dimension, possibly from a private sector dimension, right? And when I left, um, it was a it was a very bold move. I should say I didn't have a job planned. I didn't have a clear plan. In fact, I didn't even know I was going to start advisors. Right. I left the sector um, willing to just start from zero, <laughs> if that's what it took, um, and just try to find a new direction, possibly in the areas of finance, um, environmental and sustainability finance. But when I left, something really curious happened, Jane. What happened was that um, I had built such a strong reputation and network in the sector that I just started to get calls for job offers and contracts and everybody wanted me to work with them. In fact, a lot of people kept calling me to, uh, to say, you know, we want to put you on a project. Um, you know, do you have a company? Do you have a company? We could um, set you up as a consultant or whatever. And because of that, that's what prompted me to actually um, go in on advisors. And I created that company. It's an environmental and financial services company. And, um, and it really came not out of um, you know, a, a grander plan. It sort of just happened organically in that way. But, uh, and, and what I think was really important there was also my thirst for knowledge because, and my ability to just want to learn things because starting a business, as you said, is rightfully is very hard. And there was a lot of things I didn't know about in terms of registering a company and NIS and BIR and all these other things that go into managing the business. Um, so that was sort of my transition and my transitionary journey, right? So if I have to isolate some lessons for, um, our listeners about what it takes to go from a stable full-time job to entrepreneurship, the first thing I should say, the first lesson you should know is that, um, it takes incredible persistence and dedication to make that decision, right? Um, entrepreneurship is not easy. And there are very few people that will be willing to give you a guiding hand. There's a lot of things that you're going to have to figure out and it's going to require a lot of dedication to start from scratch, right? The second thing that I want you to know is that in this world, one of the most valuable things that you have is your social networks and your ability to connect with other people. So if you ever decide that you want to take the path of entrepreneurship, do not sleep on the fact that, um, that it's important to, to be well-connected and to have people know you. And the third thing I think I would add is that to create a successful business and um, you need to be aware, this is a mantra that I like to tell people. And this mantra is that you need to be efficient with processes and you need to be effective with people, right? I think that is a, a dichotomy that has served me well, to be efficient with processes and effective with people. Meaning design your things in a way that, that, that is very efficient, it's well-organized, it delivers results, right? But when it comes to people, people are emotional, they're talkative. You cannot be efficient with people, you have to be effective. And that also takes a different skill set. So those are my pieces of advice. I, I like that last part, man. Um, you know, how, how, how you properly explain it, you know, you could be efficient with a process, but you have to be effective with people because obviously, you know, the emotional intelligence component of really getting the most out of your, um, your team, your members, is, is really a critical thing. When you hear about people talk about the startups and the companies, you know, your team is what is really going to help you with that drive required to 
to really make that breakthrough. You know, it's not a one-man show. Um, 100%. You know, <laughs> what, what I wanted to touch on, actually, you know, you see a few people um, are willing to give you a guiding hand, obviously. And, you know, your network is what is one of the things that, that will really kind of distinguish you from another person trying to make a, a breakthrough. So I was wondering if you could tell our listeners, you know, based on your experience, you know, how they should look at, you know, seeking that, that, that guided hand then, you know, because, you know, they, it could happen in many different forms. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I could talk about this all day long. One of the things that we do at advisors, so I'm going to take a, let me give you a little bit of context set in here, right? One of the, I mean, I'm a climate change specialist and one of the, one of the main portfolios that we tackle at advisors is climate change and climate change is a type of problem that can't be solved in this lifetime. It cannot be. Uh, I will work at this for my entire life and I will probably die before it is solved. Um, and that's what, what that, that, that's what makes it what we call an intergenerational issue, right? And because of that, I have developed my company in such a way where there's a strong emphasis on mentorship and a strong emphasis on bringing in um, younger, uh, more energetic, more brilliant people into the culture, into the company, because this fight is not something I could do on my own. Um, I have employees that are 10 years younger than me, and I hope that in 10 years time, I will I'll be able to say that they have employees 10 years younger than them. Right. And you keep that going because you need to have that. And that is. Um, you know, that's something that I hold very dear to me. It's a core tenet of my um of my company, empowering youth and and providing that mentorship. When we talk about um mentorship, here are some of the things that are, are main lessons that I want you all to understand as listeners, right? I want you all to think about the types of persons in your life that you would like to look up to. And I want you to understand that they could be classified into four groups. The first group is what I call a role model. And a role model may not even know that you exist. They might just be a person that you look up to because of a certain aspect of their life, a certain way that they conduct themselves, and you try to emulate that, and that's good. But a role model may not have any interaction with you. They might not even know that you exist. That's a role model. That's category one. Category two is what I like to call an advisor. An advisor is somebody that you might go to for advice. You might say, hey, I'm trying to get into this sector. Um, could you tell me what to do? And they'll, they'll give you some advice. And, and an advisor is someone who provides you with information, but they are not emotionally invested in your success. They, whether you succeed or fail, whether you follow their advice or not, that rolls off their back, right? Uh, my company is called Advisors Next Door. Our clients come to us for advice. We give them well thought out, well researched, good advice. But that's where it is. It's advice. And if it is that they decide to not take it, to not do it, um, you know, that's on them. Yeah. The third category is mentors. And a mentor is a step above an advisor because a mentor is not only willing to give you advice but they are willing to take time out of their day to explain things to you in a way that you understand, to provide you with some resources and to help guide you in a very intimate way. Moreover, a mentor is somebody who is emotionally invested in your success. If you fail, they will cry. If, they, if you succeed, they will clap, right? A mentor has a, an attachment to you and your success, right? 
But the fourth category, and this is the most important part, the fourth category is what I call um, a patron or a sponsor. Right. And a patron or a sponsor. Now, when we think about a term, we usually think about money. Right. This is not a place willing to spend money on you necessarily, but a different kind of currency. Right. They are willing to spend their social capital on you. These are people who would give you advice, give you tools, be invested in your success. But they are also willing to spend their hard earned social currency that they have um, gathered over their long careers on you. They are willing to um, put their reputation on the line to back you. And I think when we enter into this world as young professionals, into the world of work, the ultimate targets that you should have is attracting a sponsor. You should be trying to find um, someone who is going to um, invest in you in that type of way. And I know what you might be thinking, right? How do you find a sponsor? How do you find that kind of person? Well, what, what I want to say is that there are two types of currency, right? That you have to earn in your um, professional career, right? This is the way that, um, and this is why the adage of be efficient with process and effective with people comes in. The first one is performance currency, right? And that comes from doing a good job or being the most dedicated, being the most persistent, right? You either have to be, um, you know, very, very committed or very excellent, right? And that, um, and when you do that, you attract a lot of attention, right? So think about it. You go into a workplace and you start giving assi- be given assignments and start knocking them out of the park. Home runs after home runs, right? Six after six. You start to really succeed, right? You're building your performance currency. You're attracting attention. Everyone's looking at you. Wow, you're a high riser, right? You're starting to do really good. Nobody could beat you at the job. But performance currency, this, this hits a plateau. There's a ceiling to performance currency, right? When you come out of a school system, you're a, you, you've been told, I guess, I mean, from since primary school to university, that performance is all that matters, right? Good grades get you to the next level. Good grades get you into the next school, get you into the next degree program or whatever, right? And you feel like life is all around performance and that it's fully meritocratous and it's only about being able to perform. But out in the world of work, that's not the case, right? Decisions aren't made solely on performance. They're also made by people, right? Um, And because of that, when your performance currency is high and you're attracting a lot of attention, you have to capitalize on that to build social currency by building trust, by building rapport, and by building influence with those around you. And that is kind of how you attract a sponsor. You perform really well, you get their attention, someone who might be a possible sponsor might be take interest in you, and then you develop a relationship with them um, over time. Some people like to say that networking, that's, that's the essence of networking, right? And it's about who you know. I don't think that's fair to say at all, because the truth is, it's not who you know, it is who knows you, right? Listeners need to realize that the most important career decisions in their lives are not going to be made by them. The most important career decisions in your life are going to be made by a group of people sitting in a room that you are not in, that you do not Um, have the opportunity to defend or advocate or explain yourself. And what you need to do is you need to make it a priority to live rent-free in the minds of 
influential people, people who might be in that room, so that when your name comes up in conversation, they say, you know what? I'm willing to spend my currency, my social influence, and say Shane is the man for this job. He's the one that I, that we you need to do. You don't bother to look at nobody else. So that's kind of where I want you all to kind of understand the things about mentorship. It's important to find mentors. It's important to find advisors. But most importantly, it is important to find a sponsor. They're the ultimate type of mentor. They are the people that back for you and put their neck on the line, who attach their reputation to your name, right, in rooms that you are not in. And um, and yeah, I, I think we'll, I mean, we could dive into more more into that, Shane. It's up to you. You tell me where where we want to go from there. Uh, Ryan, you know, I, I like to say that um, hearing your talk is reminds me of like when I read a Harvard Business Review article. How oh, you break down things now? <laughs> you know, you, you really have a way of, of of putting things in buckets and themes that 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 really flows well, and you really give a a real honest, I would say, um, answer. You know, because. A lot of people talk about mentorship, but you even went into another level. You looked at another level, which is, you know, the different types of roles that you can look at for when seeking, I guess, building your network, you know, and it's more than just about just the mentor aspect, but there's the role models, um, advisors, and, you know, your, your sponsors, you know, and I, I think our listeners would really, I believe it will spark some thought-provoking um, assessment. For people, you know, listeners, because you know they already look at their network, and and at least they would have an open understanding now of you know the type of 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 people that they would like to see when seeking to build their network. So, yeah, um, definitely, definitely, I like the open approach. You know, I, I like that because yeah. you know it, it's it's something that you know you say well go. Most people when you talk about mentorship, you know, they, they'll talk about well. Um, see who you want to be like. Um, you, you reach out to them, and and you try to have a conversation and build build a, a relationship with them. But how you even give us that? The kind of from a different dimension. I think that that was that's good, boy. That's really good, man. Shane, let me just bounce off of something you just said there real quick. Sure. Because you talked about mentorship and you seeking them, right? But what I want what I want the listeners to to understand, and and this is the secret to my success, is that. Um, you want to curate your life and your, your professional presentation in a, such a way where, um, where the, where the sponsors come to you, where the mentors come to you, right? Um, there are obvious, yes, there's obviously times where you are going to go looking for people, but the really successful way to do it, the smarter way to do it is to develop your professional career, um, your professional, your, what do you call it? Your, um, your personal branding right? In such a way that it attracts the attention of people. You mind if I give you an example? Yeah, sure, man. This do we share in knowledge here. <laughs> <laughs> so let me give you an example, right? So, I mean, as most of you all might be familiar with LinkedIn, right? It's a professional networking platform. Um, it's like a professional Facebook, right? So it's like Facebook with all the memes. <laughs> and, um, and I remember a year ago, there was a young woman, I wouldn't call her name, but there's a young woman who came out of the University of the West Indies with first class honors, just as many uh, have, you know, um, in the environmental degree. Um, and, you know, okay, she's bright, right? And she came on just like everybody else, open to work, open to get a job, open to get an interview. And I, I see this person, right? They're on my feed. 
Um, I like bright young people, so we make a connection. Um, so I, you know, I see them occasionally, right? Months pass, several months actually. And lots of her colleagues, they start to slip into a sense of apathy, right? They start to, oh, you know, jobs are so hard. It's only who you know. And they fall into this sort of bitterness that tends to happen with young graduates when you enter into this very harsh world of rejections. And, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, it's a, if you think in economics, right? Supply and demand, there are way too many students that come out for too few jobs. But this, this young woman was different. She decided that, you know what? Yes, she's applying and she's applying. But she wants to, um, she wants to contribute to the sector. So every week, without fail, Shane, and I'm talking for about six months straight, this young woman would create a blog about an environmental topic, and she would post it to LinkedIn. I would get two likes, and I, I mean, I probably one of those two likes. I would see it. But what she showed there was real persistence, right? She showed something that none of her her, her colleagues had, and it, it it attracted my attention. This is a form of performance currency, right? So she did some performance currency by preparing the articles. Now the articles were like groundbreaking Nobel Prize winning articles, right? They were basic articles meant to spread some you know information to someone who might have never heard the topic before. But she was persistent in it. Six months every week, two likes per post, <laughs> right? And um and she kept going and she kept going because she wants to be in the field and she starts attracting a brand for herself as being an environmental writer. And then I'm I'm this person remember I don't know this person yet. So we never had a conversation at all. This is just a random ad. But I noticed that. Right now, I'm, of course, significantly more advanced in my career. And one day in a completely different room that she is not in, someone says to me, hey, Ryan, we're looking for an environmental writer. You know, we need somebody who could deliver under pressure, who could perform and, and you know, do some good writing. And you know what I think of? I think of this random stranger <laughs> that I don't really know on LinkedIn. And I say, you know what? I think I have the right person for you. So I, I end up messaging her. We have an interview. I chat with her. I kind of feel out to see if she has the right, right um, attitude. And then more so in this situation, she um, actually, after six months of, of, of looking for a job, she ended up landing something temporary, right? Some, well, I can say temporary, like, you know, like six months or something. She just started that job. And it's not an environmental writing, right? And then I say, well... Here's the situation, right? You've attracted my attention. I'm willing to put my name on uh, behind you because I've seen how dedicated you are and I know that you could do it. Do you want to take the chance, right? When I say take the chance, remember, my word is not gold, right? It's not like I, I send, this, send this young woman forward and they might not even take her at all. Huh? They might not take her at all. It's not guaranteed that she'll get a job. They just ask me to send a recommendation. And then this young woman so courageous she wants to be a writer she quits her job the six months job just to take that chance because she knows that she has a sponsor behind her someone who is willing to spend that currency to advocate for her long story short she ends up getting a position it's been a few months now and she's absolutely thriving in that space doing something she loves right so this is a real case example of she didn't come looking for me she didn't come asking hey could you give me a link she used her own skills to build up her performance currency, to demonstrate to people, to show, to not tell, show, not tell, to demonstrate to people, hey, here I am, I'm bright, I'm smart, I'm persistent. And it attracted the attention of 
in this case, me as a sponsor, I was able to be in a room that she wasn't in and advocate for her to get her into, um, or to give her a chance. And also important in that story is that you had you have to you have the courage to take a risk. I and mean, she took a risk. Six months without a job, your first six months contract, and you're willing to take a risk out of it to chase your dream. I mean, it's a powerful story. And I hope that our listeners absorb the right takeaways from it. Yeah, no, kudos to whoever that young lady is. Um, definitely, again, that courage uh, that is required, especially for, for you know, the, the movement that we need in Trinidad eh, in terms of you explain the supply and demand scenario concerning education and jobs and and obviously you know um and i always say it's timing and eh? timing is everything you know so like when i entered uh the workforce the, the industry was going through like a boom period so you know they were hiring right now the the pool landscape in trend the economy etc it's it's transforming and, and i can see going forward you're gonna need a lot of more um a lot more people actually starting like new businesses new industries to really transform um, the next 20 to 50 years in Trinidad, you know, and it is something that you have to be brave. Yes, you have to show that courage. You have to demonstrate. But, you know, how how can you that person to sponsor you? And, you know, that that, that example of LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn is a powerful tool in, in that aspect in terms of the is a online community where, you know, once, once you're able and you're brave enough to showcase what you can do, I, I think, you know, there will be people who will look and, and definitely give you a chance, you know, so yeah, definitely. And even on Facebook as well too, or Instagram, you know, um, there's a lot of business that, that are done on those platforms as well too, on TikTok. So, and TikTok, you know. especially for this younger generation. Um, I mean, and also Twitter. Uh, I know a lot of people might not be social social media inclined, but you know I always tell young young persons that you have to realize that all of these things are just tools. So web these web platforms are just tools, and you could wield those tools for idle time, or you could wield those tools for success. So um, don't don't just think that you know TikTok is just for dancing videos and whatever. You could definitely get a lot of useful information and make some strong connections there. Twitter as well, Facebook as well. Exactly, right, right, right or well said, Shane. So as um as we as we're looking to kind of end off the conversation, you know, uh, I wanted to kind of spin off in terms of you know advice around trying to influence change because obviously you know you you worked on the national environmental policy, uh you you know with your time with the ICARE project as well too, and now you're working on the climate change policy for for Trinidad, you know, and obviously right. going ahead, you know, um being in that space is a space where. There, there's a lot of I, I, I would say kind of sometimes um doubters, you know, if you're moving fast enough, etc. And you know, um, because of because of how things are currently right now, a lot of work is happening, but you know, a lot of people don't think it's happening fast enough. Um, especially putting things for like new businesses, new industries, even for um citizens as well to 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 adapt to the transformation required for the whole economy. So, you know, just um probably three tips, you know, that you could offer our listeners. Um in terms of, you know, if they want to influence change from your experience, you know, what sure. what they should really take into consideration. Sure. Before I get into the tips, I think listeners need to understand our context very specifically in the case of um, of Trinidad and Tobago, right? Briefly, that you need to understand that Trinidad and Tobago has what you call an environmental management paradigm, right? And 
that's why we have an environmental management authority. It's not like the uh, the U.S. that has an environment protection agency, right? And the key difference there is in the concept of management. And management comes with balance and trade-off, which is effectively the same spirit of sustainable development. We need to manage environment while balancing that against societal needs and economic needs as well. So in Trinidad and Tobago, one of the things that seems to make progress be slow is the, or even sometimes make progress seem small, is the fact that we always need to try to balance the three pillar components of society, economy, and environment together. When we balance those things, right, it is, um, we need to do these things with consensus, with consultation, with buy-in, with great consideration for communities, for companies, and for the environment that has no voice. So. There are a lot of people who say, oh, let's say, for example, and we're going to pull it straight to climate change, right? We're talking about um, we're talking about trying to avoid reaching 1.5 degrees global temperature rise, right? That's a number that if we hit, we know with great certainty, the science tells us that our climate will change in a way that will be very detrimental to small islands like Trinidad and Tobago. We know that we, um, for example, if we cross 1.5, and especially as we get to two degrees Celsius temperature change um, from a 1956 baseline, right, we will have about 90% of the coral reefs globally bleach and die. So think about that. No more Boca Reef, no more brain coral in in um, space side, right? Um, so there is, we know that that is the science, and we know that. We have a very tight window, a narrowing window to try to reduce emissions and avoid emissions by 2050 if we want that uh, dark dystopian reality to not happen, right? So in the context of only having 28 years, roughly, right, roughly 28 years to, to avoid that disaster, a lot of people think, oh, wow, we need to transition fast. If we could just overnight go from being a fossil fuel economy to solar economy, um, this will help avert the, the disaster. And you're right, there needs to be great urgency, but we also need to balance that urgency with recognizing that if we were to just transform from a oil and gas based energy sector and energy economy to a renewable one strictly overnight, there will be great spillover and knock-on consequences for employment, for people, for societies, for communities that all depend on are integrated into it, right? So that is a perspective I want to leave listeners with so that they understand that even though urgency is important, that there's so many other considerations that we need to have. And, and with that as your starting point, my advice then is being aware of the, the context that you're operating in, right? Being aware that, yes, you need to be urgent, but you also need to be judicious, right? To make sure that everyone is protected, that the transition is what we call a just transition and that people are not harmed by going from oil and gas sector to, to um, you know, a green economy, right? Being aware of that, my tips are, one, find um, your passion, right? And follow that passion, right? That is the first of all, the most important thing that you could do. 
right? You need to be able to find the area that you want to work in. I work in environmental policy. Maybe that's not for everyone. So I don't want to just tell everyone, hey, come to environmental policy. This is where you're going to find the most change. Where you're going to drive the most change is in the area that you want to work in, that you go to sleep at night thinking about and wake up in the morning thinking about, right? So firstly, find that area for you where you, that, where that just, you know, sparks that fire inside of you. The second thing I want you all to, um, to, I would want to advise is that there are different ways to affect change. Some change could be radical. You could be the Greta Thunbergs and the radical protesters, and you could be the ones to be out there. Or you could also affect change incrementally, working inside companies, working inside organizations, um, trying to change behavior and culture from within. And the third thing I would say when it comes to change is that um, I want you all to not underestimate that every drop adds to the ocean, right? And I, I think that it's important for us to all adopt a sense of personal responsibility. And even if we think that we can't change a problem as massive of cli as climate change and, you know, and change the economy and change all these things, you could, um, you know, real change starts from within. And any little bit that you do towards sustainability um, will make a difference. So those are my three pieces of advice to you when it comes to cha uh, change. Shane, thank you so very much for giving me the opportunity to, to be here and share with these listeners. Yeah, and, and um, you know, again, I like I like the last one you close off there in terms of every drop adds to the ocean. Because sometimes, you know, we think we need that big aha moment or you know to, when we set targets or goals you know it, it has to be something huge you know and really taking it from a standpoint of eat little to live long kind of approach you know it, <laughs> i think it, it's something that we have to really hold because nothing is nothing happens overnight um it, it, it takes time and we have to be patient and yeah so you know i, I just like to thank you so much for for sharing um your your advice once again and I know our listeners will appreciate it and you know thanks for being on beyond the rig you know and, and doing your thing you know definitely we'll keep following and um definitely especially as you're a young person within the space of the environmental space which is a critical area for our country going forward you know in terms of reshaping our landscape really appreciate um you taking the time to to be with us and yeah, we'll be looking forward to seeing how things progress with you and advisors next door. <laughs> Until next time, take care. Thank you so much, Shane. Uh, thank you so much, listeners. Definitely follow us, advisors next door, on all social media platforms LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And you can find me as well, Ryan Asu, on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to connect and we can continue the conversation. Thank you, Beyond the Rig. It's a pleasure. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. I would like to thank Ryan for being a guest. And I would like to give a shout out to all our loyal listeners for once again tuning in. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share. If you have any comments, feel free to drop it to us via our LinkedIn or Facebook page. Until next time, stay safe, and you never know who drops in beyond the rig.